Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taigi, and today we're talking to Vangelis Limpuridis. So Vangelis is a specialist in innovation by design, design thinking, immersive virtual reality and augmented reality technologies, big data and whole body interaction design, operating at the crossroads of emerging tech, academia, and various industries verticals such as healthcare, education, entertainment, and social enterprise. He's the founder of Enosis, Leading Innovation by Design, Discovery, Specialized R&D, and Advisory Services on Innovation, Productization, Commercialization, and Business Strategy. He's also the West Coast organizer of the MedVR Initiative, faculty at the Viterbi School of Engineering, where he teaches the AR-VR Mixed Reality courses and holds a PhD in whole body interaction from the University of Edinburgh. And listen, everyone, I'm just summarizing everything he does, right? So I tried to do my best. Vangelis, hi, so great to have you with us today. Was I fair to your introduction? <laughs> very, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for your kind invitation. Glad to be here. Awesome. You know what? I think that the best way to begin today is if you tell our listeners about, you know, your background. Uh, you have this great combination of academia and industry, and you have been working with innovative and immersive technologies in a couple of different sectors. So what's your journey? It's a long uh, journey that transcends a lot of continents, a lot of different working fields. To begin with, I'm at the crossroads of academia and the industry. Most of my work these days is the industry, but I always have a connection to one or more academic institutions. For the past 10 years, I've been at the USC, at the School of Cinematic Arts and the Viterbi School of Engineering, in various roles and capacities while I'm running my company, Enosis, that I receive and offer R&D and innovation to deep tech startups and other academic institutions that uh, need these services. Now, how I end up there is because of my curiosity, my ADD, and my dedication to polymathy and transdisciplinarity. So I never followed a linear path in my education. I started uh, studying physics. I gave up my studies to join um, a course in fine arts and technology. And from there, I went to Glasgow School of Arts and did a, my undergraduate in environmental art and sculpture, you know, all this British conceptual art foundation for understanding fine arts and, and so on. That's where I got the bag of uh, bridging interactivity, social sculpture and other principal concepts of UK conceptual art and modern understanding of um, postmodern understanding of art with technology and theater, with play, with gaming, with sound, did a body of work that consists of a lot of interactive environments, interactive installations back in 2002 to 2005. And then I continued my journey doing my master's in uh, sound design and interactive media, got some scholarships there, started my PhD in whole body interaction, how you drive media synthesis of media and interactivity with the body using the first full body motion capture system 
uh, that used in in Excel on body worn sensors. So what we're talking about is motion capture that is uh, body centric and doesn't require infrastructures like camera based systems where you have a a room full of cameras and the subject in the the middle, which gave us a lot of mobility and the ability to to explore a lot of concepts on how gesture can drive media or drive information retrieval. Is it like a wearable, you mean? Yeah, yeah. It's like, imagine 16 sensors on the body can model every limb on your body and you can have a full body representation on a computer, equivalent to the motion capture that they do cinema. But instead of using cameras to track the body, you're using inertial sensors that give the orientation and the body dynamics of the moving body itself. Yeah, got it. Yeah. And that was the the point when I have done my PhD at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. And then I crossed the pond, started working at Berkeley with some peers in interesting projects and concepts and with the topological media lab. So we started cross-pollinating the UK and European mentality with the American one. And I love the fusion. I I love the, the synergies between the two worlds. And finally, I found myself at the USC, the School of Cinematic Arts. For those that they don't know, when we're talking USC School of Cinematic Arts, we're talking about the main pillar of Hollywood in terms of education, all the standards in production, but that now accommodates other departments, including USC Games, the number one video game course in the country, where we have different labs. One of the labs is the Creative Media and Behavioral Health Center, where we design uh, novel diagnostic and therapeutic tools using digital technologies, narratives, and a lot of principal ingredients of entertainment that we fuse with mechanism of action that we find in um, therapeutics. And we do model cognitive rehabilitation. We do all kinds of interventions that activate uh, better behaviors for indications that spawn from severe anxiety and, and pain to all kinds of uh, motor cognitive disabilities or reduced abilities. And from there, from the Creative Media Behavioral Health Center, at some point I found myself at the Mixed Reality Studio. At USC, we had the Mixed Reality Lab that created all the novel technologies for virtual reality, primarily funded by the government to bring training, VR, and entertainment for military training. These technologies were transferred from MXR Lab to MXR Studio, where we worked uh, with creative students from around the cinema school, the engineering department, other departments, to fuse and create uh, novel content that some of it was exhibited all around the world. So that was back in uh, 2013, 2014, uh, before VR interest uh, was skyrocketed because of the primarily the first success story that was the, the acquisition of Oculus by Facebook. There is some interesting side stories into that. Palmer Lackey, the founder of uh, Oculus, was at the MXR lab for six months, nine months as an intern there. He was studying uh, journalism at the time at the local uh, college. He wasn't necessarily an engineer, but he was the the right person, I guess, to have insights in these technologies and how we're working on them academically and package something with duct tape that he called Oculus and start his own venture that was extremely successful. 
This acquisition created massive interest around VR and later in AR. So for various reasons, Los Angeles became the hub of the international hub of incubating this new medium and these uh, new technologies, the, the immersive technologies, as we call them, because we had all the principal components. We had a lot of engineering, a lot of executive and thought leaders around the, the future of technologies and media, the extended reality technologies, the immersive technologies, our mediums and media. There was a lot of critical components around having talent that program game engines and they are in this interactive scene that a lot of uh, computer scientists are not. Typically, uh, video game engines are not taught in computer science programs, but because of USC and the USC games and computer science games and all that, we had a lot of talent in our disposal and also in broader LA with all the, the video game companies, the animation companies, all the, the AAA and indie companies. There was a massive pool of principal ingredients to get X out to the next level. Therefore, Los Angeles became a hub. We became very valuable to the industry. There was a massive brain drain in 2015-2016 from USC and other parts of the FLA towards the, the industry. As part of this uh, trend, I founded my company, Enosis. And the first project was with Google and Queen, the rock band, to create the Bohemian Rhapsody as a virtual reality experience. For mobile phones back then, for those that they remember the uh, Google cardboards, you know, you take your mobile phone, you put it in a in a cardboard box with two lenses, and suddenly you have a, a VR experience, fully interactive, a lot of R and D, a lot of production knowledge and VR knowledge and world building knowledge went to this piece that was presented at um, Google I/O and later at Google Zeitgeist in an exclusive kind of form way, and then finally was selected from Google executives to be published in the broader audience for a year. And that was back in 2016. So entertainment is definitely an area where VR and future of immersive technologies will play a massive role. It's just that we are a little bit too early still into that. The devices themselves need to reach every home in order for AAA studios to release content, meaning like DreamWorks and Disney and all that. So it will take a little bit more, but it's clear that immersive media offer an edge towards other media on how you perceive content and how you you even interact with uh, content in traditional cinema and traditional linear content. There's a lot of storytelling. There's a lot of capturing the, the moment in the beautiful scenes depicted through the perspective of the director. In virtual reality is an open world, there is no storytelling per se. It's uh, what we call story living. You create an environment, a world, a condition where the audience leave a story and they make their own story based on the, the cues they perceive from the environment. So there, there is a, a need for creatives to transcend from uh, one understanding of storytelling to the other understanding of uh, story living. We've been working on that for quite a while. And then, of course, it's uh, all other applications of the technologies across other verticals. And that's where I find myself at the principal component of innovation by design, asking the hard questions around innovation, around why using 
these uh, mediums and for what reason, what is the problem space, what are you trying to, to solve and how to innovate mindfully towards a, a success in the, the vertical that you want to apply the, the innovation. So I like to think of myself as someone with, with deep expertise in technologies that don't use or present that as the, the key uh, component, but the, the innovation by design, world building, design fiction, design knowledge around innovation that drives the adoption of technologies towards uh, things that actually work. So definitely the word boredom is not part of your vocabulary, right? Such a such an amazing journey. And, you know, like you've covered so many, so many interesting topics. One of the things that I'd like us to, to focus next, and the reason it's caught my attention is because I never covered uh, before on the podcasts. You were talking about so many interesting things. Like one of the things is that uh, your work with behavior health and rehabilitation technologies. So first of all, I'm curious, and in more on a macro view, and then I'd like to get more detailed on each of the topics, but which would be the main advancements that you could share with us regarding rehab technologies? Happy to, to respond. It's an exciting uh, area of innovation. We have the, the digital transformation with, of healthcare, and within that, the adoption of uh, media, and then... We have the immersive media, VR, AR, and mixed reality that come with their own strengths and weaknesses. And we try to, to leverage them in fulfilling novel diagnostics and therapeutics. That's the, the arc, right? Now, when we're talking about the media themselves, and in particular, virtual reality is an extremely powerful medium. The author, the designer, and through the content and the, the way the technology works, hijacks your senses, you know, occupies your vision, captures your your hearing. And from there, there are other modalities and other senses that we can occupy. So there's a big responsibility on how you design uh, a virtual reality experience, but also the design itself can lead to specific outcomes of interest, either for diagnosis or for treatment. The medium itself allows also for motor functions because you can walk in modern headsets at least. You can walk, you can interact with uh, things. So it opens the window in what we call motor cognitive rehabilitation, bringing cognitive components and motor components within the rehabilitation for some mechanism of action that are very contemporary, specifically in uh, neurodegenerative diseases like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, rehabilitation of uh, stroke victims and all that. That's where the motor cognitive rehabilitation has a lot of of value. And also in neurodevelopmental diseases like uh, kids with problems in mobility, in speech, in all kinds of domains of executive functioning. So you have an extremely powerful medium that if you have the, the novel understanding and the, the understanding of how it works, you can create very successful interventions. Now, the other principal component of that is attention. Every other medium is by definition designed or that is, it's the nature of the medium to split attention. So even if you're not, let's say, ADD, Working with, between your computer, your browser, your email, your mobile phone, and all that, you're already behaving like an ADD, attention deficit, right? In contrast, when you are in, uh, in VR, 
it's a novel medium that is grounded in attention. I have 100% your attention. There's no escape in VR from the cues that you are in, the environment that you're in. It's only by design and by definition what is happening in there. And that gives us one principal component of therapy, engagement. You're engaged with the medium, you're attentive, you are following the cues, therefore the intervention can work. So there are many things that we can do in virtual reality for rehabilitation. At this point, we're not in academic stage where we're like, oh, we have the virtual reality headset, let's see what we can do in rehabilitation academically. That happened 20 years ago. So for the past 20 years, there's a wealth of information, clinical, preclinical, evidence-based, little design knowledge around rehabilitation in virtual reality. But today we have massive companies in uh, healthcare and pharma, like Penumbra, a big pharma company that has their real system, which is a, a system for motor cognitive rehabilitation that is being offered all around the world, compensated, I think, through payers. It's a subscription program that occupational therapists and physical therapists can use in their practice. So we're not talking science fiction here. We're talking real life and what is uh, coming down the pipe in many areas of healthcare and medicine. We touched the rehabilitation. Another principal area is mental health and what we call behavioral medicine on how you create behavioral interventions. Uh, this time that shift the belief systems of the, the individuals and all that, very delicate mechanisms of action very powerful when executed right. And part of the, the execution plan is to develop good content and understand how content works and how the theory of uh, behavioral medicine and behavioral modifications is informed and uh, develop these interventions. And of course, we have medical imaging on how surgeons or medical imaging professionals can assess three-dimensional data when you do a CAT scan, when you do an MRI, the data are three-dimensional. But up to this point, everyone is assessing the, the data by rotation and this on a 2D screen. Therefore, it makes absolute sense for the transition from a 3D imaging technology to a 3D viewing technology. You capture something in three dimensions using a CAT scan, you see it in three dimensions using a VR or AR. That's why the whole surgical community is very excited and adopts rapidly technologies around augmented reality and virtual reality that comes from imaging and then pre-surgical planning. I can apply this imaging on the body of the patient and visualize where the tumor is, where the intervention needs to happen and kind of physically connect my spatial coordinate system with how I'm going to perform. I can go and perform virtually the operation multiple times before I perform on the, on the uh, patient. And that gives a, a great advantage to the surgeon to aggregate specific knowledge around the, the surgery that they're going to do. To bring it one step further, I can allow in this virtual environment another expert from across the world to be telepresent, you know, be in this surgical environment in a virtual way, in a virtual setting, assess, 
cross-communicate, mentor me while I'm doing the operation, and so on and so forth. You know, there is a tremendous interest right now from startups, from the doctors, from the healthcare uh, system in developing and adopting these new clinical workflows. I am part of a working uh, group at MDIC, the Medical Device Innovation Consortium in the United States, working with the FDA, providing the guidelines for different aspects of that uh, technology, primarily in surgical care. It will take a while to connect all the dots and have fully regulated, cleared medical devices for surgical use and all that that are based on immersive technologies, but every step and every principal stakeholder is aligned in developing this uh, pipeline. Therefore, in the near and far future, we're going to see a revolution in surgical care that will be built around the principal components of uh, immersion. It's, again, a lot of really, really interesting content here. We still have a lot to cover. So stay tuned, everybody. We'll continue this great conversation with Vangelis on the following episode. Stay tuned, everyone. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future. Future.